is Death by DVD, and you are listening to Harry Scott Sullivan, your host. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. On this episode, we will be reviving an old segment. It's the return of Recently Seen. And now, to begin the show, let's do the history of Recently Seen. I have absolutely no fucking idea when it started. Maybe 2017 could be as early as 2016, but it was a little shtick that we did at the beginning of episodes to kind of kick things off before the meat of the show really was cracked into lasted for a few months, and then it disappeared for a while, and then it came back, and it lasted for a few months, and then it disappeared for a while, and then it came back, and it lasted for an additional few months, and then it disappeared for a very long time. I think a year. The final evolution of Recently Seen was the Recently Seen show. I thought that it would make a better episode than it would an introduction to an episode, because then we'd end up spending ten minutes talking about some fucking movie we recently saw that had absolutely nothing to do with the show. But I'm wrong 93% of the time, which aren't great odds, and it wasn't really a successful episode. It was really long, and it didn't go anywhere, it didn't really have a point. And with that, Recently Seen disappeared for quite some time. Until now. And after making it sound so alluring, I'm sure you're really excited to finish this episode. I have a habit of doing that. I'll come right out of the box and be like, this is fucking stupid and terrible idea, and I'm going to talk about it now for an hour and 45 minutes. But yeah, that was the intro monologue. That was the beginning of the show. Will it get better? I don't know. We'll find out together. But I do have a reason for bringing the recently seen show back. It's not just for filler, which it also serves pretty great for filler, but that is not my reasoning for bringing it back, and I'm not going to tell you because it's not I'm not ready to do it yet. You see, what you got to do is you got to bring it back, let people be familiar with it, and then I can shove it in your face. But there could be a lot worse things that I was shoving in your face. Fair enough. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like episodes like this. I don't, I don't think they serve a great purpose or a point, because what we're going to do is, uh, I've mentioned it before, I've talked about my legendary book. I'm going to go through my book, and I'm going to tell you some movies that I've recently seen and talk about them. It's not exciting. I don't think that there's any value to it. We're not going to go deep into things. I'm not philosophizing. Uh, and that I, I just don't particularly care for, for this fashion of an episode. And in this instance, it truly is because it's just me. This is a great segment if there's somebody else and we can bounce back off of each other and talk about it, but uh, it's just me. So essentially, it's going to be some prick reading a list of movies that he's recently watched. That's the episode. I think it's been long enough at this point, though. If you do choose to tune out, it will count as a download, and I thank you for your service. And if you want to hear some random movies that you can sit down and watch, well, fucking gee golly, man. You're, you're really going to get that i'm sure this is going to be uh, a foul episode too and all i could think of was shit piss fuck cunt cock suck a motherfucker and tits i use some harsh language more than i usually do because i can 
Now, let's talk about my big book for a little bit. I've mentioned this before. In fact, I think the last time I did an episode like this, which wasn't a recently seen, but where I read from the book, picked a handful of movies to talk about, I delved into the secrets. But it's nothing fancy. There's an app called Letterboxd. It's a social media, I guess you could say, where you log movies that you've seen. You can rate them. You can review them. Other people can read it. Other people can like it. That's all my book is. I write down every movie I've seen. Sometimes there'll be a little thought about it. Sometimes I'll do a star rating. And this is going to really guide us into this episode. Star ratings. I can't fucking stand them. And I love Letterboxd. I really enjoy the app. I, I spend a lot of time on there. And that also is starting to become a little bit of a problem for me. Because I've realized when I have my book, I watch a movie and I write it down. And there's a reason for all of this. I didn't just start cataloging movies because I'm absolutely insane and needed something else to categorize in my life because I've alphabetized my movies 332 times. And no matter how many times I keep doing it, it's just still fucking the same exact alphabetical order. No! In fact, I don't even alphabetize my movies at all. I just shove them on the self like an absolute true fucking psychopath. So whenever I want to watch something, it's like, ah, let's find it! It's a mystery and exciting. Life is an adventure. But a few years ago, I saw this fucking movie, I'm pretty sure on Netflix. Cannot find it. I have no idea what it was. The worst part is it wasn't even a particularly good movie. And it was about some girl that lived in L.A., I'm pretty sure it's L.A., and she's being stalked, maybe, but her roommates also don't like her, I think. And some stuff happens, and then there is a home invasion at her house, and she gets kidnapped. And I recall the last scene of the movie is, is them... The kidnapper and this lead character standing and overlooking a valley, which I assume is Los Angeles. And then the movie ends. It was pretty shitty. It was, it was, it was just a generic home invasion movie, but it, it has been years of me trying to figure out this film's name. I just fucking want to know what the name is. I don't want to even see it again. I don't give a shit at all. I just fucking want to know the name of the movie because it's eating me alive. I know I saw it, but what the fuck is it called? So I started the book. And the book dates back to around 2018 or so, and it's it's absolutely everything I watch from TV show episodes, and that I'll write the full title down. You know, The A-Team, Season 4, Episode 20, Mission of Peace. Whatever it is, and sometimes I'll even write down the time date just to, to be very specific. The list usually will be the entire month long. They're numbered in which order I've watched them, so if it's the 233rd movie of the year or 244th, I'll know which one it is. If I watched the movie on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl, there'll be a notation for that. You see, there's a little bit of a there's there's a little bit of a system here, but not much. It's not not anything exuberant. It's not fancy. I've gotten a couple emails about the book. People want to see it. It's a marble notebook it's a green notebook you know it's not leather bound or beautiful it should be maybe one day after i finish this one i will move up into the world and have some necronomicon-esque book made for myself but right now that's that's all it is and on that episode i referenced where i first did this read from the book of 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 what i had been recently watching i tried to do a whole theme for it and it was going to be 13 movies or something like that because it's a, a evil number you know Ooh, 13 it's a horror show or whatever, exploitation, cult, movie. It's just a movie show at this point, man. And it was kind of wild for me. I, I was, I, I, I forget, you know, you you out there in Radioland, you have to imagine everything I'm saying because there is no picture for this. So I, it really got me off thinking that 
all of you out there think I have this giant leather-bound book filled with every movie I've ever watched in it. But there, there's an explanation to take the magic away from my big movie book. It's not that exciting. But with the book, back to my original point here, that's all it is. It's the names of things and the times I watched them on rare occasion or the dates that I watched them. When you switch over and you're on Letterboxd, you can't help but almost feel like there's some sort of competition. You look at other people's reviews, and then you almost want to change yours. Well, I don't want to say that. I, uh, this guy said this, and I kind of agree with that. It kind of strips you of a personality. You'll, you'll see that this movie has a bunch of five-star ratings, and you might have thought it was a two-star movie. And you sway your opinion because you don't want someone to bully you on the internet. And it, it, to me, makes it almost like a game. It's somewhat displeasing. You start trying to figure out how many movies... Well, I, I gotta get my count up. I, I want there to be definite more numbers on this. And it's not about numbers. It's not about how many movies you watch in a year. It's what you see, what resonates with you, what emotes, what makes you feel fucking anything. Anything. We live in such a dreary, terrible fucking existence. The whole world. It's not just the United States. Fucking everywhere. It's all one big fucking rainy day, and you, you turn something as beautiful as art into numbers, it just, I don't know, makes it pointless to me. It makes it whatever you're watching pointless if you're just trying to round up numbers or you're impressing people with what you watched or what you've given five stars to or you find yourself feeling a little edgy because you gave a movie one star rating. It's so fucking arbitrary to me, and I, I hate the fucking film criticism show. <laughs> about to blow the roof off this son of a bitch. I fucking hate rating systems. Uh, like, Chaz Ballon had a genius one in our system for Death by DVD that we never fucking used, the cult point system. All we did was bastardize we. Alexander Nash actually created the system. I have nothing to do with it. It's just Chaz Ballon's system, and that's fine. Systems like that are fine when you're inside of cult, exploitation, psychotronic movies because there's not really a cap. You're not judging Citizen Kane with Night of the Fucking Living Dead. You just kind of have everything in one little bow. You know, Chaz Ballon didn't review movies like Citizen Kane is my point. But in general, everything on one scale, you gotta have to keep that in mind. You know, well, I'm, I'm watching this movie and it has to be rated on the same scale of all these beautiful Cecil B. DeMille movies and the, the, the most famous films of all time and Goddard and Fellini. And it strips the fun away from it, and there's there's a whole purpose and point, I guess, to criticism. I've always stood by the motto, you know, you, you, you teach because you can't do, and I'm sorry to all the teachers out there that listen to Death by DVD that I massively fucking insulted, but, you know, being an English teacher and being a film critic it could kind of be interchangeable. Oh, fuck. <laughs> dig in a grave, dig in a grave. Ah, fuck the teachers. I'm I'm sorry. I guess that's the episode. I've... <laughs> Why do I do this show? What 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 is this show even about? Uh... That might be a fucking spot for a commercial if we had one for this episode. Maybe a Keith David or David Keith. Get everybody's mind off that. Woo. But I don't, you know, mean fuck the teachers. Um, I'm not going to backtrack from that statement, though, because it is it is firm to me. And not every critic is the same way. I'm not in the same field, I guess, you know, but this isn't about me. But fuck the teachers really wasn't my, my point here. Um, <laughs> might be too late. That might just be the only point that people will take from this. I like public schools. If you're an educator, I'm for you. You deserve more money. Uh, sorry. Or am I? But this isn't like a barrage onto the public school system or something like that. I'm talking about film criticism here. 
Joe Bob Briggs has mentioned this, and I've parroted him many times, with the internet fucking roined film criticism because everyone can do it now. And that's fine, you know, it's like your parents told you when you were a kid, you can be anything, you can be president, you can be an astronaut, you too could grow up and be an asshole on the internet film critic. It, it It's very doable. Start your own podcast. It happens, you know, it's, it's a part of our culture now, but it makes it very hard to get legitimacy out of it, and there, there, there formerly was legitimacy to the art of criticism, and people like Joe Bob Briggs don't, he, he doesn't really reflect onto, if you're doing it, people that teach can't do. He's done a, a lot of various stuff in the world, but his career, what he specializes is, is film criticism, reviewing and detailing movies, but he came from a different era before everyone had a YouTube show, before everyone had their own podcast, and I'm including myself here, you know, I'm not on some different pedestal that's special from everyone else that I'm shitting all over. Just because we've been here for a long time doesn't mean it's been a good time, right? And you have something like Letterboxd, and I, I find myself more and more drawn to not rating. I love logging the movies, I love having that, from my book to a digital format. I love the fact that other people can see it and they can partake in it, but to me, I, I find myself gravitating much more to a negative mindset when I'm watching a movie. I'll be halfway through the fucking movie and I'm like, well, what am I going to say about this on Letterboxd? And that's silly. It's a game at this point. It's like Pokemon. It's just collecting stuff, and it really, really is exasperating. It takes away some of the beauty and joy of just sitting back and watching a movie and writing it down so you don't fucking forget the title, and four years later, or four, God, it's been like seven at this point. I watched this movie I was rambling about earlier in like, I don't know, 2012, 2011? I often forget what year it is, but that's fine. That's okay. So yeah! That was the intro. That was the full intro. That was the opening monologue to the episode. I lied a little bit at the beginning there. I thought we were done with it, but... Just kept going on and on and on. I, I hope at least this rambling kind of makes a point. Because I'm not... I mean, if you love Letterboxd, and I do. I, I really enjoy the app. I love scrolling through. I suggest using the app. If, even if you're not a film fan or whatever. If you like to just watch movies or TV shows, you can log that too. It's a social medium. I'm not getting any fucking money from Letterboxd, but somebody tag them in this and, and see what they think or don't. I don't know. That puts me on the spot, doesn't it? The thing is, it's not letterboxed, it's people that are on the app, but it, the same thing can be said for absolutely everything, everywhere, at any time, in any place, so it's a moot subject. I like it, I enjoy using it, and I hope you understood my rambling and, and the point of rambling. So with that, <laughs> all that shit out of the way, we get to the original point of the show, which is recently seen. Somebody also pointed out to me in an email one time, you spelled the word seen wrong. I know! I fucking know it's spelled that way to be ironic. It's fucking ambiance, okay? It's got a point. But thank you for looking out for the integrity of my spelling. I do appreciate it. It might not sound like it, but I do. We're going to go through the book, and I'm going to tell you some things that I have recently seen. It's that time now. I think we're there. And I've already said I don't like episodes like this because they don't serve a purpose, and not everything has to, though. I think that's something important to bring up with Death by DVD. And at the end of this program, I got a couple things I'm going to say about this program itself. And I know that sounded serious. And hey, it might be. But we'll find out at the end of the episode. 
Cracking that book open, and let's flip through some pages. We'll start this off with a movie I just actually watched. Last night, in fact. Grandmother's House, 1988, directed by Peter Rader. Every old house has one room that's always locked. This is where the house keeps its secrets. Ghosts of the past and sins long forgotten. This summer, David is snooping around his grandparents' farm. And there's only one door he hasn't opened. David, you look so pale. What gets me is when they go snooping and poking around a house. I can think of some places that I wouldn't want to stick my nose in your house, Spike. Grandmother's house. You're invited. Grandmother's House. A Nico Mastarakis production from Omega Entertainment. Who is Peter Rader? He didn't do a lot. Uh, what he did do is pretty cool, though. He did Hired to Kill. He was a director on that. Grandmother's House has directed many episodes of Dog Whisperer with Caesar Milan and the TV version of Escape to Witch Mountain. What's more interesting is he wrote this and made this movie, as he did with Hired to Kill, with Nico Mastrakis. If you recognize his name, that means you've heard the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD, Island of Death, and The Last House on the left. Nico Mastrakis is the 666 son of a bitch that made Island of Death, and I like the guy. Millions of people left like clay. Millions of I mean that sincerely. I'm dying. And I'd never seen this before, so when I saw his name on the credits, I knew, oh, well, we're going to get into some very strange territory here. Because if you remember Island of Death, that's the goat fucking movie, where it turns out a brother and sister duo are stalking around a Greek island, killing, raping, and torturing everyone that comes into their path. There is P, there's the goat fucking I've already mentioned, crucifixion, beheading, all sorts of wild, wacky, family-friendly things that everyone of all ages can enjoy. Nico is a really interesting guy that's a video nasty. And we've talked about his past before, so you can just go listen to that episode. And before we get into Grandmother's House, I just want to say, check out Hired to Kill. Find that beast of a movie. It's got Jose Ferrer, Oliver Reed, Brian Thompson, and George Kennedy in it. With a cast like that, you know it can't miss. Especially Oliver Reed and Jose Ferrer. Yeah, that, that's wild. It's a weird, low-budget movie that everybody was paying their rent with, and it's fun. So this movie's about a brother and sister who have to go live with their grandparents after the death of their father, and they begin to suspect that their grandparents are pretty fucking weird and doing some pretty weird shit, possibly killing people. I don't want to spoil this movie. If you've seen it, you've seen it. But if you've not seen it, it's really, I'll be honest with you, it's not a remarkable movie, and for the most part, it's fairly boring. 
You've got some typical 80s horror tropes. What's really fun is Brink Stevens shows up, and who doesn't love Brink Stevens? One of the only three scream queens that matter. One of the queens in the trifecta of perfect screamery. Brink Stevens, Linnea Quigley. I'm Linnea, and I like death by DVD. It's a statement. And Michelle Bauer. But the best part is that Lynn Lesser stars as the grandfather. And you fucking know who Lynn Lesser is. You might not recognize his name, but it's Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. Uncle Leo! Uncle Leo? It's Uncle Leo! Jerry, you listening to this? (laughs) Yeah, Uncle Leo. Hello! Uncle Leo! Jerry! Uncle Leo! Hello! Hello! Jerry! Hello! Hello, Uncle Leo! Fairly unremarkable, and then you get to the last act of the film, and it goes bonkers. It truly becomes a little psychotronic, and it's fucking upsetting. I wasn't really paying attention by the time we got to the end of the movie, and when it kicked up, I had to sit my phone down and rewind things and, and watch it again, and... It's just a what-the-fuck moment. What the fuck did I just watch? What the fuck just happened? And for that, the movie's great. This will return us to my letterboxed rant. But sometimes movies are only two stars. Sometimes they're a one-star movie. That doesn't mean they aren't fantastic. That doesn't mean they aren't great. They could be incompetently made, poorly written, poorly acted, completely boring and stupid. And for one tiny sequence, it makes it all worth it. And it turns that two-star movie into the equivalent of a five-star movie. You can sit and watch Canterbury Tales by Pier Paolo Pasolini. It's a five-star movie, obviously. There's no questions about that being a five-star movie. But you could also not enjoy a single moment of it and feel it's a two-star movie. You, you can interchange all of these things to the point that it just absolutely doesn't matter. And then you're forced into this idea of, well, I gotta give it one star, two stars, three stars, four stars, five stars, or a half star. <laughs> And at that point, are you even thinking or resonating on the movie you just saw? Or you're trying to pick it apart? You're trying to disregard things or capitalize on other people's reviews? Or you want to be funny? You want to be liked? You want to have a bunch of likes on your little reviews so other people think you're really clever and witty? And what the fuck is the purpose of that? You've completely missed the point of watching the movie. You've missed watching the movie. Now you've turned it into, well, I just have to log it. A friend of mine was giving me flack the other day because I rated a pretty well-known Giallo two and a half stars, and I fucking liked the movie. It was enjoyable. I, I enjoyed what I watched, but it's still like a two and a half star movie. And the point again of this tangent, maybe this is the episode, it's just many little tangents. Will they connect to something at the end? Probably not. Or maybe I'll just rage about Letterboxd for an hour, I don't know. The point, regardless, is it, it doesn't matter what arbitrary rating you've, you've given the movie. That may be the word of the night, arbitrary. Did you like it? Did it affect you? Did you feel anything, any form of emotion? Did it do anything for you? Yes, no. From that point, go down a certain path. Do whatever you want to. If it didn't make you feel anything, it didn't make you feel anything. But even in the most boring, bullshit, jejun movies, there's sometimes something that makes it all worthwhile. Grandmother's House. Fucking boring. There's some cool stuff. The end is batshit. The end is upsetting and makes you go, what the fuck? Wow. That was weird. That was, that's, that's upsetting. That's some upsetting stuff. So if you would like to watch some upsetting stuff, 
the last 10 minutes of Grandmother's House. It's going to make for me uh, watching repeats of Seinfeld at 4 in the morning stoned out of my mind very uncomfortable. Uncle Leo, you should be ashamed of yourself. Fucking terrible episode. How are we doing? How are you out there in Radio Land? Is this just as terrible as I think it is? I guess for your sake, I hope not. Well, wait, shit, I guess for my sake, I hope not, too. Oh, fuck it, let's move on. So, yeah, Grandmother's House. Vinegar Syndrome put that out, they did the restoration on it. If it's not out of print, I I would suggest finding it from them, because as always, I'll never say a bad word about Vinegar Syndrome. I I really enjoy the company. Every release I've ever gotten from them, I thoroughly enjoy. And there's been a couple that sucked and had some shitty commentaries or a lack of impressive special features and it always takes me back to the the original movie the reason i bought it to watch the movie and their restorations never really bother me i i don't have any piss poor well this one wasn't that great they could have done the grading and the color a little bit better everything they do looks a hundred times better than the original print that was available so enough sucking there dick let's move on Ah, and we're moving on to something I think is a fun topic. A couple days ago, I saw a short film from Nikki Lindroth von Barr. It's the first time that I'd ever seen anything from them or heard the name, and I, it was just immediately taken aback by not only the beauty, but the, the sadness, just pure sadness. I watched The Bathhouse, and that made me go, wow. That's something interesting. So I watched Something to Remember, which made me go, wow, that's really interesting. Then I watched Toward and Toward, which I had to walk away from. I finished that, and I had to go sit alone for a little while and just think about the concept, or what I believe to be the concept of that short film. And then I watched The Burden. And at this point, I I honestly and fairly can say, I think The Burden might be one of my favorite things I've ever seen ever, pertaining to everything of all time. It's stunning. About 14 minutes long, and all the films that I have just mentioned run from around 14 to 5 minutes, but the burden specifically from 2017, just stunning. Absolutely beautiful. I cried while watching it. Watched it again, fucking cried the second time. Just, it really took me aback, and I know I've already said that. Nikki Lindroth von Barr is a Swedish animator and director, and the work is just enchanting. The pictures that I have mentioned are all stop-motion, and instead of humans, they're, they're animals in the same situation as us. Most of the topics dwell from anxiety, social anxiety, social injustice, consumerism, capitalism, the decadence of what world we live in now, and the fact that every single one of us is depressed and just kind of hoping that maybe at some point things will just get prettier and better and we'll all be happy big movie stars. You know, instead of dying alone in a landfill after the atmosphere has been destroyed, none of us can breathe anymore, and the war against irradiated mutant zombie flesh-eating men has finally gotten to a point where the human race is nearly on its decline. That sort of stuff. It's far from nihilistic, and I don't find any of it to be whiny. I don't think that it's uh, like The Cure. It's not a Robert Smith song. It's not a whiny, sad boy song. All of it is very potent, and all of it is very beautiful and articulate. 
and I, I just find such an immaculate sadness that that prevails throughout all of the short films that I have mentioned, that it, it's it's in your face and it's there, but as it is every day, as it is in the real world, you may choose to ignore it, but maybe when it's little cute animals that are sad, you'll recognize it and feel something and have some sort of emotion that you can connect figuratively with what you are, are experiencing and watching in this case. And for me, it was like a hammer to the back of my head. I, I just fell in love with it immediately. These short films almost felt like I, I've been talking to someone that intimately knows the inside of my head and just kind of presented them to me almost as a gift. That's really what I took from watching these. I was really, really into it. People obviously have a hard time facing sad subjects and facing reality in general because, well, it's reality and it's rather dismal and nobody has a fun time unless you have tons and tons and tons of money. But when you put things to song and dance and it's cute little rats or moles. I don't know, it becomes more palatable to people. I, I saw a review on Letterboxd of this movie where somebody said, this is what Wes Anderson would be like on acid. I'm pretty fucking sure Wes Anderson movies are, are just Wes Anderson on acid. The problem is somebody just saw the fantastic Mr. Fox and they have no other range of reference. They have no other depth to go to. They saw one stop motion animation movie and go, oh yeah, it's like Wes Anderson on acid. Uh, not really. And that takes me back to my raving of Letterboxd earlier. People just want so goddamn bad to be clever. And I do too. I'm sure all my problems would be solved if I was just a little bit more clever. But, you know, here we are. Nikki Lindroth von Barr. I really hope, out of anything in this episode, if you've gotten to this point, that you take some time and you look up this artist, you find them, uh, the burden, something to remember, toward and toward, toward and toward really got me too. That was upsetting. And not, you know, we this is mostly a horror and exploitation show, so when you say upsetting, I'm sure you're thinking that it, it's going to be violent. Nothing's violent. And it's it's not like Paris, Texas, sad. It's reality. It, it's just being in your own head, the world society, and dealing with all of those things. But toward and toward, my, my interpretation, what I feel to be true on that, was, was just about loss and change and growth and how relationships can start sometimes so beautifully and you are so happy and you have everything in common with this person and then you slowly begin to realize you don't have as much in common with them as you thought and you become separate and sometimes those people just disappear from your life and they're gone and you're left wondering what happened to them, looking back on the situations. But there was no wrong, there was no right, there was no evil, there was no sadness sometimes. Sometimes things just change and move on. And that's the subject matter that Nikki Lindroth von Barr really deals with. Change, emotion. It's, it's beautiful stuff. Can't recommend it enough. Really, really enjoyed it. Made me feel. And that, that... As I have been ranting and have for about 13 years. Coming up, coming up on 13 years on this fine, fine program, Death by DVD. The emotion is what changes me, what is remarkable, what makes me find film to be the most beautiful and life-changing form of art that is out there. The emotion. Whether it be the story, the photography, the directing, the performances, the acting. The emotion. That's what really gets to me. That's what really changes me and my perception and gives me a better appreciation for this world and art in general. And I know I make it sound like there there isn't anything more than art. And I'll be completely honest with you, there 
there there isn't there isn't to me there isn't anything more than art at all because everything can be interpreted and become art at some point but that really is the motion for me that's what drives me as a force whether it's working on this or watching art intaking art seeing art and in whatever format because that's the stipulation that's the thing that you really have to remember anything can fucking be art absolutely everything can be art you can sit and watch fireflies rise from the ground at night art G.G. Allen taking a shit in his hand and throwing it at audience members. Eh, it's art. What are you gonna do? You you could fucking sit and dictate and try and say, well, this isn't art, this is art, and that just makes you an asshole. You have no right to do something like that. Well, I think this is pornographic. Well, have you ever thought that pornography, too, can be art? And that really changes the game here. Bill Hicks had a lot to say about pornography. What is pornography? What stands for pornography? And in his sentiment, I have a lot of connection to that. Commercials. He, he was very strongly against when celebrities would do commercials because you fucking sold out. You don't care about anything. And you can take that to some sort of punk rock sentiment at the same time. But the point that I feel against what Bill Hicks had to say specifically about what is pornography, you could just fucking Google it, Bill Hicks on pornography, what is pornography? That's the problem with this country, uh, one of many, but this, this whole issue of sexuality and pornography, which I don't understand what pornography is, I really don't. To me, pornography is, you know, spending all your money and not educating the people of America, the Spaniards that are on weapons, that's pornographic to me, that's totally filthy, and et cetera, et cetera, down the line. You all, in your fucking hearts, know the goddamn arguments. Okay, great. But no one knows what pornography is. Supreme Court says pornography is any act that has no artistic merit and causes sexual thoughts. That's their definition, essentially. No artistic merit causes sexual thought. Hmm. Sounds like every commercial on television, doesn't it? You know, when I see those two twins on that Double Mint commercial, I'm not thinking of gum. <laughs> I am thinking of chewing. Maybe that's the connection they're trying to make. What? You've all seen that Bush beer commercial. The girl in the short hot pants opens the beer bottle on her belt buckle, leaves it there, and it foams over her hand and over the bottle. And the voiceover goes, Get yourself a Bush. Hmm. You know what that looks like? Nah, no way. Is what's to say that's not art. Now, I, I agree. I think watching Matthew McConaughey in some dumbass fucking car commercial, there's there's the little to no art. There's no integrity there. He's made some money. Everybody involved made some money, and good for them. I hope they go home and jerk off with it and have a jolly good time. It doesn't fucking stand for anything. It doesn't mean anything, and I completely understand that. David Lynch, he's a big commercial director. Do they have any meaning? It's fucking bullshit car commercials. Who the fuck cares? But to... Say pornography isn't art. That's not fair. You you can't shut down an entire industry because there's a few people that you might not like, like Larry Flint or Hugh Hefner. But that's like saying all movies are bad because Planet Terror really sucks. And it does. And that's not the point, because I've not watched that recently, and we're not going to talk about it. I just want an excuse to say Planet Terror sucks. And it does. If you were to define all movies by that, because you had one bad experience, so uh, it's it's all 
fucking situational. Everything is one hand going into the other. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If you were able to feel or take anything away from the experience that you had, then you have been a part of art. You've been a part of the process of whomever made that art from directors and gaffers and every single person involved in the movie from the boom operator to the guy that's working at the craft table you have been part of that experience even if you're watching a hundred year old movie you are now a part of the experience of all these people making that art because the goal at the end of the day was for somebody to see it and you're that somebody and you saw it you feel something it's a different story because now you've become like interwoven into the creation of this art because somebody set out to make something for you to feel something and lo and behold you see where I'm going with this? I, I think really the output, what I'm, what I'm pushing here is the experience, is the uh, emotional experience, rather, of sitting and watching movies. I think so much of it's gone. I think you got to sit down and watch Stranger Things, right? I have no problem with Stranger Things. I'm using it as a, a, a example here. But you sit and watch 12 hours of Stranger Things, and then you don't want to sit and watch a four-hour movie because it's too long. Well, what the fuck? What's happening? It's all backward. You're binging through stuff just so you can have some sort of sensory feeling. You want to feel something, so you got to watch it. You got to see all of this shit happening. Months and months and months of emotion and character development all happens at once. Well, that's fucking what movies are for, right? Maybe? I don't know. What the fuck do I know? I know nothing. I know nothing. Nothing. But yeah. Recently seen. <laughs> Is this why we don't do these anymore? Oh. Ah, yeah, that's why. Or maybe it's why I don't do them alone. Got a lot on my mind. I guess all you people are, are hearing about it. You find fine people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not, though. I'm not in the least bit. So, yeah, we have derailed ourselves a little bit, but not entirely. This all has a point. Thank you, Nikki Lindroth von Barr. I got to see your movies and then come on my little show and ramble like a madman. It's good stuff. Check it out. Or don't. Let's move on. Ooh, while we're on the subject of emoting and feeling things, here's a movie I watched two times back to back, saw it for the very first time, was mesmerized by it, had to watch it again, and then I watched it for a third time the next day, and I did cry all three times times trick baby 1972 directed by larry yust where's blue well should i know trick baby you wouldn't know the truth if it walked up and spit you in the face trick baby the best-selling novel by iceberg slim hottest black writer in the world today the real gut story of the ghetto it's bras, it's dudes, and high rollers like Blue Howard, the slickest con man of them all. Tonight, I'm drinking to the suckers. God bless their greedy little hearts. Because without them, where would us hustlers be? Trick, baby. Trick, baby. Buddy, touch those rocks, and you're dead. Trick, baby. Well, sold them the phony rocks? Well, I don't know, Mr. Pirelli, but, uh... I think they were colored. Find them for me. What did he do for his share? I tell beautiful lies for my money, Cleo. Hence, white skin gives us a slick edge. 
I get the black mark, he catches the hump. Uh, 10,000 in cash, you bring 90,000. You bring it in cash, strictly cash on the table. That's for your protection. I want $5,000. Larry didn't do much, which is a shame, because he had some power. Very articulate scenester, shows you quite a bit in, in very short and abrasive shots. Kind of a, similar to Larry Cohen, kind of a street-style kind of guy. Very, very gritty. And this film itself is one of those exploitation movies made by a white guy, so referencing Larry Cohen, I would say, is pretty apt. He also made Homebodies, 1974. Probably more well-known for that film. And then his final one was 1986 movie called Say Yes. Not a lot, but that's not important, that doesn't matter, because we are going to talk about a great movie that he made. It's called Trick Baby, I believe I already said that. And I thought the whole movie was emotion. You've got a driving force of a soundtrack, as I said, it's a exploitation movie, so it's very funky. You're really in the 70s, and it looks proper. It's that gritty downtown feeling where you don't feel safe, and this movie is about two con men, it takes place in Philadelphia. They are evading some motherfuckers that they ripped off. And on top of that, the cops are after them. Now what makes this really unique is our two leads are played by Mel Stewart and Kiel Martin. Mel Stewart is Blue Howard, Kiel Martin is White Folks. Goes by the name Folks. Now this gentleman was born to a prostitute mother and had a white father, but he is incredibly pale-skinned and white-passing. He works with Blue Howard and they are con men. And being in such a situation as to one being white passing, the movie uses that, and that's generally the point of everything. And it's a magnificent look at racism. The end of the movie was just, again, this is like Grandmother's House. I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but it was painful for me. It was such an experience because you can't deny white privilege. You, you can't live in the United States especially being a white person, and deny that something like that exists. You get treated differently no matter how you look than any person of color, and it's never fair, and it's completely and always unjust. It doesn't matter social classes. It doesn't matter stereotypes. A dark-skinned person is going to be treated poorly. 99.9% .9 of everywhere in the United States, no matter how nice the community might think they are. And that really is what pushes this movie, is the relationship between Blue Howard and white folks who love each other as family completely. But the world doesn't see it that way, and the people even around them doesn't see it that way. But as problems and shenanigans escalate throughout the movie, we really get to see the emotional vulnerability that Keel Martin is putting toward the character of white folks, that he is a black man, and he is living in a white world, and he gets all the perks and the benefits of living in this white world, and he isn't accepted within his own world, so there's a duality between racism in general. The question I think this movie asks, and it asks it very appropriately and carefully, is if it is racism that the black community is giving forward to the white community. And if you think so, yes, if you think that, how could it be? Because of all of the things that the white people have done to black people throughout time and history in the United States, it, 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 I found it to be much more philosophical and political than anything else. That it's really masquerading as a black exploitation movie. It has all the points, it has all the cues, it's got the action, it's got the sleaze of black exploitation movies, but it's a soul-crushing message that's hidden underneath all of these sheets of exploitation covering the movie. It's really heavy stuff, and to be honest, I was a little blown that I hadn't seen this before. And when I sat down to watch it, I, I assumed that it was just going to be 
a Larry Cohen style black exploitation movie made by a white guy in the inner city that hired a bunch of black actors or was just ripping off a bunch of black people's stories because that happens more often than not with black exploitation films in general or I mean the entire fucking career of Elvis Presley for example and this isn't a, a, a politics thing there's no point to deeper dive into the subject matter but that painting the picture is expressly what this film is about I would certainly call it an exploitation film, but what is it exploiting? That really is what makes it unique at the end of the day. This is what gives it an interesting twist. Watch it for yourself and you come back, you tell me what is it exploiting. I had to watch it the second time that night because I just didn't believe that I had seen everything the right way. I, I was I was kind of certain, or oh, maybe you missed something. Maybe there's a little bit more on the nose than, than what I had seen. And I went back and watched it again, and it's poetic. I don't care what you think you believe about white privilege, but it, it does exist, and it has existed. You watch this movie, and you see it, and it, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's really upsetting. This is a picture from 1972. I feel it is a, an astute look at the time, but the time hasn't really changed that much. Trick baby. Find it. See it. You also have Ted Lang in Trick Baby. Uh, Ted Lang that did the Ted Lang's Othello, 1989, one of my favorite versions of Othello. Also stars Hawthorne James as Iago. Great version, check that out, might as well, since you're listening to a whole show about me pretty much telling you shit to watch. Fuck it, why not? Trick Baby, Trick Baby, Trick Baby. Yeah, I think we're done with that. Let's move on. And I hate to give away the ending already, but at the end of this, I am going to, amongst other things I said I was going to do, which I think I already forgot what they were, but oh well, hopefully I remember by the end of the show. I'm going to list off a bunch of shit from my book so you just have a nice, fun list of movies that you can watch on a rainy day or today. And that moves us into the next subject matter, and the next subject matter is an entire film series. I've been doing a lot of that lately, and in fact, a couple months ago, I went kaiju crazy. I watched every Godzilla movie ever made in about a month, going back through, watching that giant fire-breathing turtle motherfucker. He's fantastic. I decided to ignorantly watch every Ultraman in order, and I'm only on Ultra 7. But it's been a month. It's been a month from going kaiju crazy to now tokusatsu madness. And possibly one of the reasons that I decided to revive recently seen is, and I'll give a little bit of our future away here, but we will have a new cast member joining us at some point this year where we are going to start moving a lot more into Japanese films, tokusatsu films, monster movies in general. We're going to start doing some different stuff on Death by DVD, and I truly look forward to it.
But I've been going through series, and it's also something that we've done previously on the show before. We did the whole Phantasm series, we did the Star Trek series, and we intend to keep pushing with full and complete movie series. Uh, just to say the word series one more time. This is one that might actually end up getting its, its own show on Death by DVD, and it is... zombie series. In fact, we might do a zombie month. I don't know. We'll see. See how it works out. So originally, how this works is you've got Dawn of the Dead, George Aramiro's 1978 Dawn of the Dead. Now that movie was recut and re-released in Italy under the title Zombie by Dario Gento with a goblin soundtrack. Following that, Lucio Fulci made a movie called Zombie 2, then there's Zombie 3, and there are two more movies in the series, but those two really aren't zombie movies, but they also have zombies in them, and were made by Italian directors, so they also fit into the zombie movie series because they were retitled and called zombie movies. And depending on what country you live in, there are multiple different movies in the series. You've got German, you've got Australian, there's different movies in all of them. And we will be dwelling with, I guess, the most commonly recognized zombie series, which is 1979, Zombie 2, 1988, Zombie 3, 1989, Zombie 4, After Death, and 1987, Zombie 5, Killing Birds. Now this one, we'll try and keep kind of brief. Zombie 5 Killing Birds. It's a terrible movie. It's not specifically a fun movie. Good old Joe Diamato, Aristide Masochizis, directed that movie. Robert Vaughn's in it. It's all over the place. Let's take place in Louisiana. Some college students go out into the woods. They're studying birds. And then they encounter Robert Vaughn, who is wearing some of the worst blind makeup I've ever seen in my entire life and some killer zombies show up, it's because of evil? Evil things? They happen? And they make the zombies happen? And then the movie ends. I kinda like it though, maybe because of a head injury I've received previously, but I kinda liked it. It's, it's not a good movie. It's one of those things where you can sit back and enjoy a fucking two-star movie as if it was a five-star movie because it's specifically bad, but I don't know. I have no defense. I have no reasoning. I can't sit and go, well, I like it because this explicitly good scene and it was shot this way wasn't really shot well, wasn't really written well, definitely isn't acted well. Some of the gore's okay. Some, a little bit. N it's cheese. It's maximum cheese, and you've got to be okay with that. You, you gotta be able to sit and goof off and enjoy something and then look and respect what you watch for the sake that, for one, you're the dumbass that just spent 90 minutes watching it, and two, it's not all that bad. It's, it's weird, and this is, you know, Joe Bob Briggs has brought this up to reference him again on this show. People are going crazy over the term elevated horror. I only like elevated horror movies, or what is an elevated horror movie? Joe Bob said it the best, it's a term for people that fucking hate horror movies to try and claim that they actually like something that they watched. 
I hate it. I, I hate the idea of, well, this is different now. You know, all that has happened is the genre is completely changed. Exploitation has become art. Even fucking Driller Killer. You look at a movie like that, if it was made in 2022, it most definitely would be some sort of elevated horror movie. And it means fuck all. It, it really, it means absolutely nothing. People that don't want to say art film, they feel uncomfortable by it. I like elevated horror movies. I really like A24. Did you see Hereditary? Yeah, man, that was, that was up there. It's elevated. Whatever. Sick and fucking tired of people telling me how witty and beautiful Midsommar was. It's fine! It's great! I saw The Wicker Man! I've seen it! It's fucking fine! Just fucking watch The Wicker Man! I don't know. You know who didn't make fucking elevated horror movies? That's Joe Diamato. Yeah, not one. Man, he made a lot of butt-fucking movies. Really was into that. At the time of his death, he was working on an Italian knockoff of Showgirls, like, three years after Showgirls had come out, and it is a crying shame. They actually finished that. That movie exists, but he didn't direct it, and it's sad that he didn't because we would have had a lot more close-up shots of pubic hair. Yeah. I like Joe Diamato, too. I just um, talk like shit about everyone that I like, I guess. Is anyone still listening? Are you still there? Good, because now it's time for Zombie 4. Zombie 4, After Death. As is Zombie 5 Killing Birds, they weren't zombie movies. They weren't made specifically for that reason. They were retitled later on for their release as Zombie. This movie, After Death. 1989. It is by Claudio Fragasso. The beautiful, the legendary, the great Claudio Fragasso. He's mostly known for making one of the worst movies of all time. As it's said, it's a popular title for Troll 2. I think he's interesting. I think fucking everybody's interesting, though. I think I've said that about every person we've talked about tonight, and if I didn't think they were interesting, there would be absolutely no point discussing them on the show. So I just gotta stop saying that. I think it comes with the territory. I think they're interesting. Well, no fucking shit! I'm talking about them. Sorry. Zombie 4, this time, is about... We go back to the island. The whole point uh, that I feel is the connectivity with zombie movies is they have to take place on an island. Zombie 5 being in Louisiana kind of ruins it. And it's not that Dawn of the Dead even had an island in it at all. It's Day of the Dead that they continuously discuss that they're going to run away to an island. But Fulci's film, Zombie, Zombie 2 rather, took place on an island, so it just only seems right. But we're going backwards, so we'll get to that in a minute. This one's about voodoo. Which zombie, Fulci's, is also about voodoo, so there's two things of connectivity, and that is about all that holds things together in this movie. It's uh, unfortunately really mindless for the most part, but you do have a lot of exciting action, gore. It's just typical late 80s Italian sleaze. By this point in the game, zombie movies especially, were on their way out. It, it wasn't as fantastical as it had been in the late 70s and the early 1980s, 
And the the horror market itself was nowhere near the strength that it had been. It, it truly was dying and, and fading out, especially the Italian horror market. I mean, most of these guys ended up going back to work for TV. Most of these guys had started working and learning the ropes in TV. I was talking about Nico Mastrakis earlier. He, he began that way in Greek television, and that's how you would learn the ropes and move upward and... It was a completely different game, but horror really sold, and we've talked about this countless times before, but Claudio Fergasso, Joe D'Amato, Lucio Fulci, all those guys specifically gave a flying fuck about horror movies. They were, were making what was kind of given to them and assigned to them. Fulci is a, a special case because he did write a lot of unique stuff with uh, Dardando Sacchetti, and it, it's valuable. It's really great stuff. The Beyond, I'll, I'll fucking fist fight you over. It's one hell of a movie. People will, will stand and look you right in the eye and say Fulci had no style, and they're fucking wrong. They're going to die alone, and they're never going to have any fun. You're fucking wrong. Fulci had a, a great amount of style, and he was a very stylistic and beautiful director. Is just whether he was going to give a shit or not. Because, I mean, like Murder Rock, that fucking movie has no style at all. God damn if I don't get off subject. I mean, it's, it's all fucking related, but... I don't even remember how I got to Lucio Fulci from Claudio Fergasso. I mean, we're, we're going backwards, so it all goes hand in hand, especially the next movie. Zombie 4, it's nothing to write home about. I've already, I think I, I have distracted myself twice trying to talk about Zombie 4, but the point of all this is I did fucking watch it, and it is recently seen, so it goes on the list, Zombie 4. Do you know where we're going next? Can you tell me the name of the movie that we are going to discuss next? It's Zombie 3. I hope... You got it right. There's no prize. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm just saying stuff at this point. So, Zombie 5, I kind of like it. Zombie 4, eh, I can live with it, but I don't go out of my way to watch it. Even though Zombie 3, I like this one, but it's very interchangeable with Zombie 4. Now this one is Lucio Fulci and Bruno Mattai with a screenplay by Claudio Fergasso. I find the whole concept, uh, what is going on in this movie, there's a virus called Death 1 that has escaped from a laboratory and it reanimates the dead. It's just a typical zombie story. It's, it's action-packed, it's bananas. It's all around schlock. It's pretty terrible. Uh, it, I mean, just being completely honest with you, it's not a fucking great movie at all, but the gore is fun. It's, it's bafflingly stupid. And it was so stupid that Lucio Fulci quit. So we gotta go back and look at the timeline here. Zombie, the original one, is just Dawn of the Dead. Zombie 2 is Lucio Fulci's zombie. So Zombie 3 technically is only Zombie 2 in the Italian series because it's just a knockoff of another movie. So Fulci was supposed to come back and do the sequel to his film, Zombie. And when we talk about that in a moment, you'll hear me say that it's pretty fucking good. There was already a screenplay developed for this, and Fulci and his eldest daughter, who worked with him fairly regularly, uh, really, if anything, Cat in the Brain, would be her movie, I, I feel, over Lucio Fulci's. 
that it's Camilla Fulci that I am talking about, not Antonella. He, Lucio Fulci, and Camilla had rewritten the screenplay. They had a lot of great ideas, and they turned it in. The production company just didn't want to play ball with them. I don't know what is accurate. Some say Fulci shot about 75% of the movie. Some say that Fulci shot 20% of the movie. I believe Bruno Mattai is more on the lines that he shot more and brought in new people than Lucio Fulci. It doesn't really matter who did what at this point. That What makes it fun is that it's a Frankenstein's monster of Italian zombie films. That You've got Bruno Mattai and Lucio Fulci, who both did miraculously, bafflingly bad and good, low-budget gore splatter movies. Really fun stuff amongst really bad stuff, and this kind of takes the best and the worst of it. You can see the effort. Not much, but you can see it. You got a zombie with a machete, all sorts of crazy stuff. It's it's very over the top, and if anything, it's a ticket seller. This is a midnight movie, a drive-in movie. This is make out through or smoke a shit ton of weed, because when the gore pops up, it's that's about it. That's what you've got running for you here, and it's splatterific. It's fun for everybody when you want to see some pustulating, rotten, zombie, clay-face Italians. And... Those are some of the best zombies, let's be honest with it. You got, I mean, for me, you've got Dawn of the Dead. I love the comic book Dawn of the Dead zombies. I love the blue. I think Savini did a great job with that. Then you've got the ultra-realistic, frightening Day of the Dead zombies that Tom Savini also did a great job with. Something like this, something like the entire zombie series, you really get... Uh, that Tomb of the Blind, Dead, clay face zombie. And it's like paper mache. It's goofy, it's silly, but there's just something exotic about it. You know what you're getting into when you see a clay face zombie. You know that you're about to get some very powerful synth droning music that's just going to keep pounding and blaring at you throughout the entirety of the movie. You're going to get a lot of jocular bravado, wild characters. Nobody matters. There's no development to any of these characters. They're just going to appear, they're going to die, and you're definitely going to have a favorite character. Most of the time, your favorite character will be Al Cliver. And with the mention of the great Al Cliver, that takes us to Lucio Fulci's Zombie! Ahoy there! This is the Harbor Patrol. Anyone on board? Yes, it looks abandoned. One more step and I'm gonna blast you. Now freeze where you are! Yes, it's my father's boat. And uh, how long since you last spoke to him? Well, we have to go to Matul. We're trying to locate Anne's father. She hasn't heard from him for some time. Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie 2 from 1979, directed by Lucio Fulci and written by Dardando Sacchetti. Sacchetti and Fulci were the greatest duo. They wrote some of the greatest stuff together. His work, his words with Fulci's direction is just unequivocally beautiful. The Beyond, I mentioned that beforehand. I'll probably mention it a few more times here. I'm a big fan of Lucio Fulci. I think he is a really unique person aside from being an artist and a film director. But as an artist and a film director, what really attracts me to him is his loneliness and his depression and his sadness. Fulci as a man was a very depressed and a sad, sad person and it haunted him for most of his life. And it's not always visible in his movies. You really gotta kinda push and look for it, but the beyond, that's a movie that is steeped in sadness. Four of the Apocalypse, a very sad western. And it's not generally 
what the movie's about. It doesn't matter that it's a Western or Call of the Wild. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is because he wasn't expressly a horror director. He kind of got pigeonholed into that. And I have a whole fucking show about Lucio Fulci called Reflections of a Fulci Fan from 2021 that you could just go back and, and hear a lot of, of what I'm saying now on that. But genuinely for this one, very sad kind of guy and his work encompassed a lot of that sadness. And I feel a lot of pieces of him through his depression, were forced into the movie. And I think Zombie 2 is a very, very lonely movie. I think the whole idea of the movie is very lonely. It is probably the best Italian zombie movie out there. And you can argue with me. I won't listen to you. But you can. You can try your hardest. I really feel that to be the absolute truth. There are so many. I, I think I mentioned Tombs of the Blind Dead, that whole series. There are some great Italian zombie movies, and then there's some stinkers like Oasis of the Dead that don't go anywhere, and they don't pay off. And when you're watching a zombie film, there are some very specific things that you want to see. Mostly, the zombies! That's really, really big! Zombie 2, 1979, chocked full of them. You've got an island where the dead have come back to life. You're kind of pulling on that whole, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth scene from Ramiro's Dawn of the Dead, the epitomous, beautiful line that Ken Foray says the hell are they? If they're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. So in this one, hell spits up the earth, and this doctor that was trying to cure a disease has caused a zombie epidemic on this island, and his daughter, played by Mia Farrow's sister, Tisa Farrow, they're coming out onto the island. She teams up with Ian McCulloch, the great, great Ian McCulloch, and they go out onto the island. Her father, Dr. Menards, played by Richard Johnson. It's just a whole who's who of Italian film. This is a great beginner's movie if you want to get into Italian horror movies because half the cast you're going to see in 180 fucking movies from this point on. Especially Al Cliver! I love Al Cliver, and he plays the greatest character in this movie. I think really this is a, a lot of horror fans' first introduction to Lucio Fulci. I really, I think it was mine. I, I, I really don't quite remember that far back. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I, I definitely remember watching this movie in, in my basement in high school and just the same feeling then I feel now. I'm astounded by it. I love the soundtrack. I love everything about the movie. A fucking zombie fights a shark. A zombie fights a fucking shark, man. And there's a topless chick in the same scene. How could you get any fucking cooler than that? Uh, you uh, argue with me, you can, but I won't fucking listen to it because you can't get any cooler than that. It's grade A stuff, man. I mean, Fulci zombie, it doesn't matter if you've seen it a million times before. It is always worth putting on again and just sitting down and enjoying that. And the soundtrack, man, the bow, 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 bow. Ah, every single thing about this movie brings me solid joy. Every time I watch this movie, I'm happy. I, I love what happens. I love the intensity. I love Lucio Fulci. And not everything the man made is solid gold. I openly can admit to that. I think you'd be a bastard man of a liar if you tried to say that everything that Lucio Fulci made was brilliant. This, undeniable. Fucking great. Fabio Frizi soundtrack. Dardando Sacchetti wrote it. Lucio Fulci directs it. And you get Al Cliver.
But all in all, the zombie series, I, I, I found myself having more fun watching it backwards than forwards. I've seen all the movies before. Actually, that's not true. I had never seen Killing Birds before, Zombie 5. That was completely new to me. Uh, and and previously, you know, I'd watched them in order when I sat down and wanted to do it. You know, you watch Dawn of the Dead, Zombie, Zombie 2. In this situation, I went backward from 5 to Zombie 2 because I didn't feel like sitting and watching Dawn of the Dead. And I know that is a sin. I'm sure everyone listening just completely went, <gasps> But I gotta be in a very specific mood for Dawn of the Dead. Day of the Dead, on the other hand, I'm there every day whenever because loneliness, depression, sadness. I kind of get off on movies that are lonely, depressed, and sad. I guess we've come to that tonight. Finding out all sorts of things about ourselves, aren't we? Well, we are getting to the end of this episode of Death by DVD. We're pushing, we're cruising, we are seeing all the recently scenes. Now here's a movie, brand new, 2022. I just saw this. I've been asked by a few people, what are your thoughts on the movie? You've been so quiet on it. I wanted to do a full episode on this movie, and I just don't know if I have it in me to do... I just don't know what I'm going to talk about, I guess, for for an hour. And that movie is 2022 Men by Alexander Garland. And I would like to begin this by stating I am a big Alexander Garland fan. I really, really like his work. In fact, I'm willing to say The Beach is probably one of my favorite books of all time, maybe even up in a top five list. I think he is an incredibly gifted writer. I think he is visually, uh, God, he just makes such attractive stuff. Uh, finding out that he really was kind of the guy behind Dread, which was the only, I mean, you you can enjoy the Sylvester Stallone movie. I do. I think it's interesting and neat. It's neato. I feel the same thing that Marge Simpson feels about potatoes for that specific movie. The Dread, the that was fucking fantastic. That, that was over the top. That was Dread. That's the Anthrax song, I Am The Law. Like, that movie was great. Garland did that. Really, and unofficially, you know, he did that. Uh, I've always been in his camp. I've always enjoyed his work. I've rooted for him. So I was head over heels excited to see men. I had to see this. This sounded amazing. And fuck. God damn it. What the fuck was that, man? What the fuck? Pretty much what I took from the movie Men is Alexander Garland sitting there going, you know, men are bad, but not all men are bad because I'm a man, and I'm willing to show you that men are bad, but not all men are bad because I'm a man, and I can tell you that men are bad, but it's not like me. I'm not one of those men that's a bad guy because look at all those men that are bad because it's not like me. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy repeating fucking just, just over and over and over again, but look how bad men are. I'm a good guy. I'm a really good guy. Aren't men terrible? They're really creepy. All right. Look. I hope she fucking sees this, Alex. What's wrong with you? Well, there's fucking not even a movie. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, if, like, some Radiohead was playing over this, maybe it would have been something. I don't know. That seemed to work for the Suspiria remake. Just fucking throw some Radiohead over it, and it's a movie now. I, it's visually attractive. I'll give it that. There are some amazing sequences in this movie. There's some really, really cool... 
iconography. I said that word all wrong. That's not even the word I wanted to say. There's some shit. There's some stuff. There's some things. And it looks all right. It sounds all right. It's fucking meticulously and beautifully shot. But what the fuck? Why am I the asshole for just wanting a fucking story that goes somewhere? And it goes somewhere. It go. It does. I mean, it, it starts, it goes, it gets up, and it moves all around. But fucking where it went, ah, I don't know. I, I, I really, uh, that's that's what men leaves me with. I don't know. I, I don't fucking know. It's a thing. It's out there. Rory Kinnear did a good job. Jesse Buckley. Everybody does a great job. There's no bad performances. Technically, there's nothing bad about the movie, and you could even say because of its articulation, because of how it was shot, because of how it was designed, it, it could be a five-star movie. Fuck all, though. It means absolutely fuck all. It's Mickey Mouse. I mean... And that 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 there is, I think, the the best term for men. It's a fucking Mickey Mouse movie. And I like Alexander Garland. I like him. I. <laughs> I enjoy this man's work, but not this time. And I don't need anyone to explain it to me either. That's That's been the problem, is other people trying to go, well, no, this is what it's about. No, no, I know what it's about. I just said what it's about. I, I'm a good guy. Men are bad. Men are really, really bad. But I'm a man, and I can willingly tell you that not all men are bad, because I'm a man, too, and I know that not all men are bad. What happened? I am... Fart noise. It just fucking did nothing for me. And it's very rare that I, I get really fucking annoyed leaving a movie. But walking out of men was just like, well, fucking what? I wish I could fucking talk to you. Like, I just want to tweet. Like, what? What's going on, Alex? What? Are you going through a bad breakup? Are you trying to get somebody's attention? I don't know. I don't know. But men... I, I wanted to bring it up. I wanted to do a whole show about it, and I, I, I started talking to myself, as I'm doing right the fuck now, seeing if if there was a, a, a tangent or, or something that I could go on, some tissue of connectivity to, to push me through an entire show on men, and this was about it. It's just kind of excited yelling noises. Um, you know, that that's really... <laughs> that's really what you're going to get from me out of this. Uh, and it's not bad. I think it's really visually attractive. I, I've seen it one time. I saw it at the Cinemaplex, and I'd like to see it again. I will see it again. But as of now, I, 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 it was just, it wasn't even a hit or a miss. That, that just fucking was like the pilot of Kobe's fucking helicopter, just, you know, crash and burn. Too soon? Was that I had Kobe Bryant joke? That was fucking tasteless. I apologize for the Kobe Bryant joke. That was tasteless. Out of all the things that I'll say I'm sorry for, this asshole said teachers suck, but he'll apologize about a Kobe Bryant joke. And I didn't say teachers suck. I just said, if you can't do, you teach. I just hope we didn't have, like, a, a huge audience of, like, English teachers that listen to the show. Whoops! I, I've, I've sat and I've read so many reviews and I love, I love the ones that are, are men explained. You can find these for any movie. 
I love the Midsummer's ending explained. Oh, I'm sorry, I've said that wrong. Midsummer's ending explained. The Lighthouse ending explained. Particularly any A24 movie. If you just type in the name of the movie ending explained, you're going to get 16 or 17, 18 fucking page articles that someone wrote about their interpretation. Keyword there, their interpretation of whatever the fuck the movie was about. And uh, I like A24 films. Whether they're elevated horror or not, whatever the fuck you want to call them. I like him. I fucking love Robert Eggers, man. He's fucking that guy. He's cool. I like him. <laughs> uh, but this didn't do it for me. And, and whatever the fuck that new Pete Davidson one is not going to do it for me either. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That's not going to do it. That ain't the vibe. Men, I, I hope you see it. I would recommend, especially if you're a fan of Death by DVD, because I, I love our audience. I love you guys out there on Twitter. I love you on every every venue that we talk to you. But in the last year or so, you guys have been sending me messages. You're talking to me. You're interested in, in having a back and forth. And I love that. So, see, men, tell me what you think about it. I, I want to hear from you out there in Radio Land. Am I wrong? I am so, so often. Tell me, what did you think about it? Let's have a discourse. Fuck it, maybe you can even come on the show and do it with me. Let's move on. Final film of the night. I don't know how deep I'm going to get into this. I think we're just going to read from the list. But I recently, for the first time, actually watched Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, the sequel to that. I, I've, I've always liked the first movie. I think it's a very strange and I, I dare say it's it's psychotronic. It's it's kind of out there. Second movie is is much more sensible, and that is not 100% true because there isn't a lot of sense to this movie series because it's a guy that becomes a, a human gun in the long run. But I found this one to be much more visually attractive and appealing toward my interests. Again, it's a fucking sad movie, so it, it <laughs> that that's the, the current theme of everything. I like where this goes in contrast to the first and the third film. The third one, I've not seen enough to really make a, a comment on. I've seen it before, but I don't quite remember it. Uh, this is just kind of a, a weird fever dream. It's, it's a hard movie to try and explain, and especially if you're not into Japanese movies in general, it would make it difficult because this isn't Western in the least bit. This doesn't even have like the connectivity of Italian zombie movies. It's really out there on its own. Its concepts are crazy. It's like a really long skinny puppy video, or maybe Nietzscher Ebb would be... I don't think there are Nietzscher Ebb videos, but if they had one, it would be like Tetsuo 2 body hammer it's industrial it's loud it's menacing it's flashy you're moving constantly it's a it's a very fluid camera and that's something i really like about that this 
film is it, it is anxiety. The camera almost never seems to stop moving, and there are stationary and quiet shots, but everything is very static. It's always in your face, and it's invocative of emotion. Yeah, that's the fucking point. Tetsuo 2, Body Hammer. So now, I'm going to flip through the list. I'm going to give you a handful of suggestions, and I doubt I'm going to say too much about them. And then, a statement on Death by DVD. So let's do 13 movies, since Death by DVD is turning 13 this year in July, July 9th to be exact. We'll give you 13 movies to sit back and watch for my recently seen list. The Spell, 1977. Coco D, Coco Da from 2019. Arabian Nights, 1974. Yes, the Pasolini movie. I thought it was great. Sugar Hill, 1974, feels like an Italian zombie movie, blaxploitation, good for everyone, fun for everyone. On that same vibe, JD's Revenge, 1979, that is an awesome possession movie, truly enjoyable, fantastic. A Bar, the first black Superman, that's a great way to follow up both of those films, 1977, I had a blast with this one and I hope to see it a hundred more times. It's always good to stick with the classics. The Coconuts from 1929. The Marx Brothers. This was actually the first major Marx Brothers movie, and I, I find it hysterical. It's always a pleasure to watch this. Every single one of them appears in this movie, and it is just a blast to go through. And that's a very nutty, slapstick, funny movie. You can follow it up with something that's great, a film called The Psychotronic Man from 1980. It's about a barber who drinks the weird blue liquid from his barber's comb and gains power. Yes, that's what the movie's about. It's fantastic. It's, it's a one-star movie. Terrible. One-star movie. Fantastic. It's fucking enjoyable to watch. It's about a guy that drinks the blue shit out of the fucking barber comb, and he drives around in his flying car, tripping out of his balls for like 20 minutes in the very beginning of the movie. Can't get over it. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's fucking great. And I'm sure you're sitting there and wondering, Harry Scott, you keep saying these terrible movies are great. What are you smoking? Really good weed. Exactly what I'm smoking. Really good weed. And it helps. At this point, I realize that I have completely lost count of how many movies that I have already listed, and this is not coming from a list that I wrote down. I'm just going through the book. So, fuck it. Let's just do a couple more. The Northman, but I already did a show on that. You can just go back and listen to it. Fuck it. Watch every Godzilla movie like I did. That was great. It was a beautiful month. Seed People. That's a good one. 
Watch the Bill Heinzman movie Flesh Eater. It's charming. Yeah, I were whatever. I lost count, so now it doesn't matter. I don't know how many you got, but I hope you're content with it. On top of the hour plus of rambling, ranting, yelling, shouting, and whatever else happened. Well, this is the end, beautiful friend. I know I said this already, but I just don't particularly care for episodes like this. I hope it was enjoyable. And if anything, you saw a new movie and you had fun while doing so. Now, let's talk about Death by DVD for a minute. This is something I'm sure nobody wants to hear, and it's not very fun for me to say, but we are going to be changing the release schedule for Death by DVD. I'm sure you thought I was going to say this is the end, we're never doing another episode again, but you can't keep a bad guy down. Death by DVD is forever and will always, somehow, some way, retain. Don't know how, but the future isn't told yet. What we are going to do is change how frequently episodes come out. Don't know when it's going to begin, it very well may be next week, and if it is, I'll make sure there is something up on the website, www.deathbydvd.com, for you to find and hear to let you know what's going on. But we are going to be releasing episodes every two weeks. Now next month, depending on when you're listening to this, July 2022 is the anniversary of Death by DVD's 13 years in existence, so I'd like to try and have some great, stellar, fun content to celebrate 13 years of terror, and all of you that have been out there listening and supporting and are a part of the show simply by following and sharing and, and talking to me. I really want to reward you as well as honoring Death by DVD and how long that we've been around. But unfortunately, I, there's just a lot of other stuff going on, and I've got a lot of other projects that I'm working on, and I'm sure you've been able to tell that it's mostly me around here these days, so trying to come up with something good that I, I can deliver you that isn't a cheap product like this, and I consider this kind of just a cheap throwaway product, isn't the easiest thing, and I, I don't want to disappoint. I care about you guys that are out there, and that the fact you get something from listening to Death by DVD, you enjoy it. You emote. God damn it. We got back to the original point. Holy shit. Ending monologue isn't going so bad. I hate doing it. It makes me sad. It makes me frustrated. 
uh, I'm, I'm working on the Patreon and a couple different things that we're going to start offering via the Patreon so you can get your fill of Death by DVD. But starting soon, once every two weeks. So that means about two episodes a month. It's a bummer, but hey, I'm still trying here for you, and we will have all new content regularly scheduled back very, very, very soon. I've spoken about it before on a handful of other episodes, but uh, there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of stuff that I'm working on that I'm, I'm pretty happy with, and I think once I'm able to get it created and get it out there for you, you'll also enjoy it. And two, the excitement of a new host coming soon on Death by DVD. It's just been a little hard lately because we live in different countries. Yeah, it's going to be an exotic new host. In fact, it might be a foreign correspondent. I don't know. I've just wanted to say that there's a foreign correspondent on this show for about 10 years, so that's what I'm going to call them. Nothing overly serious, and there's no need to fear, because death is always near. In fact, we're everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Death by DVD. Just message us. Go to www.deathbydvd.com. You can have a chat with us. You can request movies. Tell us what you want to see. There are two places on the website that you can do that, or you could skip it all and email us directly at deathbydvd at deathbydvd.com. And I hope you do. I hope you have questions. We would like to do another Q&A show sometime soon, so send us those questions. Send us those requests. What do you want to hear on this show? I don't give a fuck if we've already talked about it before. Let's talk about it again. Suggest a movie. But that brings us to the end of this installment of Death by DVD. The ashtray is full, and the bottle. You better believe it, it's empty. You have been listening to Dirty Harry Sullivan. I am your host. Thank you for listening to Death by DVD. Thank you for sticking around with us through the thick, the thin, the last 12 years of terror bull movie reviews. And if we aren't back next week... Until next time, be pleasant and have a good tomorrow. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Death by DVD is broadcast from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. 